where I grew up, there are a lot of, of windy country roads with numerous, numerous surprise turns at kind of unexpected places. And so when someone might give you a, a long set of driving directions to that involve one of these kind of curvy, winding country roads, it, it's not uncommon it wasn't, at least when I was there, to throw in advice like, you need to remember that once you've passed that big oak tree on the left, there's a nasty curve just on the other side of it. And so even with a long list of details, which indeed are important and necessary in themselves, you have to know how to get where you're going. And still at the end of these details, there is that prominent warning that must be remembered. And throughout this letter that we've considered in past weeks, Jude has written a long description of the false teachers who had crept into the church that he addressed. As we have seen so many times, he began this letter with the purpose of, of writing a general letter about the salvations that, the salvation that Christians share in common, uh, but he had to redirect his thoughts in order to exhort this church to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So the, the reason for this redirect that he had to make was that the false teachers had snuck into this congregation and were teaching so to distort grace and to lead Christ's people away from the truth. So if, if you remember back or just look on your sheet there, in, in verse 5, Jude began his warning about how God had already revealed what these teachers would be, false teachers would be like through various Old Testament examples, or as we thought about last week, Old Testament types foreshadowing what would come. So throughout this first major, well, the, the, the central section, of the letter, verses 5 to 16, the, the whole set of examples and, and descriptions about the false teachers served Jude's purpose, stated in verse 5, to remind them of what they once fully knew. There, there have been many interesting things in this letter, most of which we probably would not consider, strictly speaking, reminders uh, from our perspective, but his central purpose is to remind them of something they once fully knew. And that big section in the middle in verses 5 to 16 was the long reminder that they had been instructed from God's revealed word about what false teachers would be like and what they would do. And so as we come specifically to verses 17 to 19, just like after the long list of, of details of driving directions down a winding country road, attention has to be drawn back to that one warning. You know, there, the nasty curve after the oak tree. And so Jude has reminded the church of the details about false teachers. And here he has to draw special attention to that specific reminder that the apostles had forewarned about these coming false teachers. 
So Jude's letter is about contending for the faith. The faith once delivered to the saints. It is an admonition to perseverance in the truth. And the verses before us today close out Jude's warnings before he turns to kind of his application or, or exhortation in the, in the next few verses. So as we think about these, though, today, the main point is that we must remember warnings about dangerous teachers. We must remember warnings about dangerous teachers. So our, our three points are a summary reminder, a remembering people, and a remembrance. And so first, let's think about a summary reminder. And that is essentially what these verses do, provide a summary reminder. And so this point simply aims to show how Jude said that the false teachers in this church fulfilled what the apostles said would happen. The apostles said this is going to happen. Jude shows these false teachers prove it did. So we're just demonstrating that Jude was pulling together everything that he had said about how the false teachers were corrupt, and he was tying it directly to the situation in this church. And so if we think about what he's doing with this prophecy, he's using it to summarize everything that he was trying to get across since verse 5. He had started a long reminder there. No, I want to remind you. And so he carried through various points from the Old Testament examples that this church should have known, it should have known, about the nature of false teachers. And as it comes time to collect his thoughts and pull them together, Jude returns to his emphasis that what he wrote is a reminder. Verse 17, right? But, and if we think about it, framed within verse 5, now I want to remind you, but you must remember beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I think that that opening but really has kind of a uh, the sense of drawing towards a summary point. So it, but is fine, but, you know, something like despite all of those details, the thing you really need to remember, beloved, is that Christ's apostles have told you that this was going to happen. In terms of our opening illustration, right, I've given you a long list of directions, but pay special attention to this summary warning reminder. And the specific reminder, which Christ's apostles said, is that in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. This is why, right, if if we keep in mind what we are meant to do, contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. This is why the church must contend for the faith. We must contend because we are all to remember that Christ revealed through his apostles that ungodly people will be present 
trying to lead us astray. So we have to contend. And here's, here's the catch, right? This, this prediction is actually a bit more, it, it seems so matter of fact. I think it's actually a bit more loaded than it might first appear. So notice at the beginning there, the little phrase, in the last time, which obviously refers to the time in which Jude's readers lived, right? This this is relevant for them, so it needs to be something relevant for them. (laughs) Why else would Jude note that time reference? Here's the thing. History changed at the coming of Christ. What Adam had destroyed through his sin, God, from even the moments, the very moments after the fall, promised to overcome this calamity through the seed of the woman. As the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate, erupted from heaven into history and split the ages apart so that everything that God had formerly promised has been performed. Christ will come back to complete what he began, but indeed the end of the ages has started. We are in the last time. When when I was a teenager, uh, the the big anticipation was getting to drive, right? That's what everybody, well, that's what I looked forward to, getting the driver's license. And the, the first step through, through that process was was getting a learner's permit. And in the state where I lived, you had, you had to have it for six months. Uh, and for six months, you had to drive under the supervision of a of a licensed driver. So you took this written test, you obtained the permit, and now you could drive. Under supervision, the time had not yet fully come for you to drive, but still, everything had changed because I was behind the wheel. Right? The, the countdown was certainly on for the full culmination of driving. <laughs> That would soon come. Right? The life changed in light of a learner's permit. Because even though the completion had not yet arrived, right, I could, I could drive. The, the point of the illustration is that even though the end of the ages has not yet fully come, it has begun. The countdown is on. With Christ's first coming, the beginning of the end has started. His first appearing on earth was the starter's gun, firing that signal that God's history was boiling towards its high point. When Christ would judge the world and free his people entirely. And we, just like Jude's first readers, we live in that last time. We live in the tension between when Christ procured redemption and when he will complete it. During 
this last time, the apostles said that scoffers will notably be present. It is in this time that that will happen. Ones who chase after their own godly, ungodly passions. And Jude highlights how the false teachers who had infiltrated the church to whom he wrote are the ones who fulfill this prophecy. At least some of them. And so with his typical reference uh, to the false teachers as these people, uh, verse 19 says, it is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. The ones whom the apostles predicted, foretold, at least some of them, are in the midst of this church to whom Jude wrote. And, are, and we're splitting up the church by defending godless practices since they in fact entirely lack the presence of the Spirit in their hearts. And so this, this point has focused on demonstrating that Jude here in these verses was just pulling together his discussion of these false teachers to a summary reminder by warning the church that these false teachers are those ungodly people whom Christians need to remember are a threat if we let them teach. That brings us to our our second point, a remembering people. And so we've seen, right, that Jude was highlighting that there was a testimony from the apostles that the kind of People that were these false teachers, this kind of people, have been foretold that they would come. And now they have. There is emphasis on how the Christians who first read this letter should know that. This is a reminder. There is an exhortation here, then. And I I think this is key. This is where we kind of need to camp. There's an exhortation built into this that Christians must be a remembering people. That is part of our identity. That is part of what we are supposed to be. So we're focusing now on the fact that we are meant to be a remembering people. Notice, if you will, I mean, just if we, if we think broadly about what this letter is doing, we can very easily gather that this letter comes in the context of a, of a very difficult situation for this church. They are plagued with teachers, those who are supposed to lead and guide them, who have abused their power in order to achieve their own gain. So the Christians here are likely confused by what I mean, even by what they are being told that they must and how what they are being told they must do conflicts with what they know they have been told by Christ's apostles. They're likely, I mean, all things considered, likely tempted to adopt this message. People they respect, teachers among them are telling them to believe this. And so they're tempted to adopt this message that would take away so many of the burdens of the Christian life 
as we are exhorted to fight against sin and strive after godliness. That all just goes away if we are free to indulge ungodly passions. And so the context for the the, the force of, of what's happening in this situation is that these believers are in a hard spot. Right? Troubled. Troubled by what they're being taught. Confused. Overwhelmed. Tempted. Things that may sound familiar to you. As Jude draws together this address to this situation, he says, Christians, remember what you have been told. I'm not sure that um, we could say it a thousand times. I'm not sure that we can underscore that that specific point enough that we are meant to be people who remember things. Okay, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about your shopping list. I'm not talking about the dry cleaning. I'm talking about we are people who have to be gripped by the things we. Remember, shaped by these things. I'm not sure we sufficient. We live in a culture and we imbibe it, uh, even as Christians, uh, craving for innovation and the new. I'm not sure that we sufficiently reckon with this summons to remember. I I mean, let me ask you. When, when you are troubled, when you are confused, when you are overwhelmed, when you are tempted, is your instant default question that you ask yourself, is it, what do I need to remember? If I were to guess, I would think it's not the case for many of us. I I think our default is to think about how I can fix my problems, about who whom we can blame for our troubles, or or we can think about all the reasons that our temptations are understandable, if not even justifiable. And what that is, right? If if we just Encapsulate that. that. That is a focus. Those questions lock onto the present. Right? Sifting through the present rather than summoning ourselves to remember. There are countless ways, right, this plays out in our lives. And I think the first thing I want to do is, is think about our young people, actually. Because right, maybe you're in school, maybe you made fun of for being a Christian, for even just going to church. In, in these moments like that, the easiest thing in the world 
is to focus on the present. The easiest thing in the world is to think about what these people are saying to me right now. And young people, maybe that trial of measuring measuring yourself by what is being said is the hardest. And the response is, would you not remember what Christ has said? Our, our shorter catechism says that, says that baptism signifies and seals our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. If you are a child of the covenant, then, then whatever your classmates or whatever your teammates or whomever might be saying, Christ has said you are his. Rather than focusing on what someone is saying about you, you are summoned to remember what Christ has said about you. Namely, you are engaged to be His. The promises have been made. You can receive them by faith. The declaration has gone out. Child of the covenant, you must remember that Christ has put His name upon you. He has already spoken for and about you. Disparagement may come. In fact, we're almost certain it will. But the God of the universe has announced that you belong to him. And when we're honest, this isn't a problem just for school people, is it? This is part of all of our lives whether it's the office, the street, the public forum, whatever it might be, the points of mockery may be different. But still the temptation is to listen to what is being said, focusing on the present rather than remembering what Christ has said. Ungodly people have countless messages, new messages, Innovative, creative things they want you to hear. Christian, you must remember what has been said. So whatever our trial, we are meant to be a remembering people. And so that brings us to our final point, a remembrance. And just to catch our breath and think about where we've been. The first point, dug into these verses to to show how Jude gave a reminder that the apostles had foretold ungodly people would afflict and plague this church in the last days. These people, as was happening to which this church Jude wrote, would cause divisions, be worldly people, and be devoid of the Spirit. The apostles had foretold that these things would happen, and Christians need to remember that. We also saw 
of the principle built into these things is that Christians need to be a remembering people. The passage summons us to be a people who remember. There is always the possibility that false teachers may be right in front of us. Maybe it could be from within the church, and leaders could convey false doctrine. It's possible. Maybe the untruth that you will hear comes from the world and tries to persuade you away from Christ or tries to convince you that you are not secure in Christ as Christ says you are. Whatever the case, we are called to be a remembering people who hold fast to the truth revealed to us already, deposited in the past, preserved for us in the Scripture. We are not subject to new revelation. Christians are people who remember. Whatever trouble, whatever sin, whatever temptation confronts you today, you ultimately must remember Christ. We must remember that He came to earth not simply to distribute new truth. He certainly revealed things. He explained things. He brought about the turn of the ages. Things did change. It was new. But He came to overcome those who would lie to us. Not just to bring new things that we should know, to overcome deception. Whether those lies are that God does not exist, Jesus proves He does, He is God. Whether those lies are that God has no expectations for holiness in our lives, Christ gives us His Spirit so that we might live for Him. Or that Christ has not dealt with our sin. Christ disproves all those things. For He shed His blood precisely for the forgiveness of our sin. But foremost, as the the one who secured redemption for us, right, as, as we think about how we might remember, we know Christ has put His Spirit in us. He has sent His Spirit, poured Him. That's an abundant verb. The Spirit of Christ has been poured into our hearts, filling our cups, running over that He might guide us in all truth. The Spirit of Christ then helps us remember and helps us remember Christ. We remember how He came for sinners, those condemned by what we have done against God's holy law. We remember how Christ lived the perfect life by taking on a body, a full human nature, so that in our likeness, He might fulfill the law as we were supposed to do as the condition to enter heaven. We remember how in our likeness, in our nature, He let His body be broken for us. The body that he, which he used to earn everlasting life for us, he gave to be crushed, to endure the wrath that was supposed to be ours. 
He shed his blood so that all our sins might be washed away. For all who place their trust in him, we receive full pardon and the full guarantee of life. This is not some disconnected life in the future, though. Christ grants us full fellowship with him here and now. This meal that we're about to eat together is full reception of Christ and his blessings. As Paul tells us, is not the bread which we break a participation in Christ's body? Is not the cup which we bless participation in his blood? We do this in remembrance of him because we need reminders of the gospel. So that we remember not what is happening now. Let that fade. But what has been done for us in Christ. We remember Christ because, because he remembers us. He remembered us not only as he died for our sins. But he remembers us now as he stands in heaven to plead our case and bring every need we might have before the throne of God. Because Christ remembers us, we remember him and we give ourselves to him in faith and take hold of him by that faith and receive him as we will eat this meal together. Let's pray. Father God, We are grateful for Christ. We are grateful also that we are not called to be people who know all new things. We do not have to be people who monitor the newspapers. We are not people who have to know all of current events. We are people who must know one event. The coming of the Son of God for the redemption of sinners. And we pray that as we consider how we might be a remembering people, that we would wrap ourselves in that truth. That you would help us to be consumed by that. This reality of the Son of God who came for us. Whatever may be put before us on any given day, we pray that we are not locked in on the present and what may be ahead, but that we are people who are shaped by what has happened. The great turn of the ages, when the Son of God came to reclaim his people, to set us free, and to give himself for, but also to us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.